But church, I'd invite you to turn, if you have a copy of God's Word with you, or on your phone, I'd ask you to turn to the book of James. Now they used to tell pastors to to wait to start preaching when you stop hearing the turning of pages, and, and now they tell you to wait... Uh, you know, to start preaching until you see the glow on people's faces from their phones. Times have changed. We're continuing through James. Uh, today we are in verses 9 through 11. It's a very interesting passage. But I want to begin by asking a couple of questions um, and telling a story. Because I like to tell stories. You see, last week... James encouraged us not to be double-minded, not to be double-souled, right? And, and we, we, we learned that what this means is don't be foolish enough to think that you can actually build your house on two foundations. Many of you remember the story from the Gospels. You know, don't build your house on the sand. Build your house on the rock, right? Because when the, when the winds come and the storm comes, the house that's built on the rock will be the house that stands strong, but the house that's built on the sand will be the one that will fall. And great will be the fall of it, right? says that. Well, I think what James is trying to say is it's just as foolish to try to build half of your house on the rock and half of your house on the sand. Because, friends... If, if the half of your house that's built on the sand starts to go, it's going to pull the rest with it. And so it's just as foolish to try to have one foot in the world and one foot in Christ. Having your investments hedged, your bets are hedged. We give lip service to Jesus, but we really find our trust in other, in other securities. Finances or our identity or family or relationship. So part of being double-souled means looking at the situation that God has given you, looking at the, the situation that God has set your life up in, and then asking yourself the question, if my life were gonna go, if my life were to go off the rails, if I were to begin trusting something other than Jesus, if my relationship with Christ were to completely go off the rails, how would it happen to me? What are the temptations that I face that are unique to me because of my situation? It's what James is going to talk about here in a minute. He talks about the, the, the rich people, rich believers, believers who have much have certain temptations. Believers who have very little have other temptations. One of the ways we can tell what we're building our life on is by looking at what we boast in. What do we take pride in? Uh, when I was young, my dad, uh, my parents, I, I grew up going to, uh, to a place in southern Virginia, a very nice campground, a state park that you know, the Appalachian Trail kind of runs through it. And it used to be kind of a really good, well-kept secret, and, but then this, this campground won a bunch of awards. They got put in a bunch of magazines, and now everybody wants to go there, and it just kind of ruined it. Um, my parents have been going there since the 70s. And... 
not far from there is a um, is, is an old railroad bed. It's called the Virginia Creeper Trail. Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you've even been there. But you can you can ride 17 miles from White Top Station uh, down to Damascus, Virginia. And then if you're really feeling good, you can go another 17 miles from Damascus, Virginia to Abingdon. Um, well, my dad and I used to, when I got a little older, before, uh, before you know, I, I left and went off to college, my dad, would go, my dad and I would go every year, just, just kind of a father-son thing. And riding around those little hills and these little towns that you would never otherwise hear of, like Green Cove and Taylor's Valley and Connor Rock, all these little, little map dots, we were driving down some old dirt road. It was really like a pig path, and, and we went by this house, and uh, this, this man had an old Jeep truck uh, parked kind of in front of his house. It didn't have a for sale sign in it, but it kind of looked like, you know, it had been there for a while. And so the man was there, and so my dad and I stopped. You see, I had all these visions in my mind of restoring an old, you know, Gladiator or J-10 truck, you know. Um, many of them came, you know, standard with Quadratrack. You know, you could lock all four wheels in four-wheel drive. Anyway, tangent. So I met the man, and we got to talking about his old truck. And I even got to the point where I felt comfortable enough to ask him. I said, well, have you, have you ever thought of selling it? And the man said, oh, no. Oh, no. No, I could never sell this thing. Uh, one of these days, I'm going to fix it up. You know, Friends, that old Jeep truck is still there today. And if I were a betting man, I think it's probably got a tree growing up through the floorboards. Because for some reason... I'm sure it happens around here some, but this little area of southwestern Virginia, people don't take old vehicles to the junkyard. They pull them off in the weeds and let them rot, saying every year, oh, one of these days, one of these days I'm going to fix up that truck. I'm going to fix up that old car. It took me a while to understand this, but I came, I came to realize that the reason, the reason that people don't let go of these vehicles isn't because they really have the time or even the, the resources or the wherewithal or the knowledge. Like I, I wouldn't know how to fully restore a, a truck on my own. It's not because they actually have the time to do it or they're actually going to do it. It's that, it's that what's associated with that vehicle is so valuable to them, perhaps a, a memory of a, of a parent. Maybe it was their dad's truck. I can totally respect that. Or maybe it's something else. I could never sell it. One of these days I'm going to fix it up. It has more to do with the value that they attach to these things. So you, you don't let go of what's valuable to you, even if it ends up making it rot and rust away. So I'd ask you today, what, what is valuable to you? What do you boast in? What do you place your trust in? Is it, is it the success of your kids? As long as they're happy, as long as they get into the right schools, as long as they end up with the right person, as long as they are generally socially accepted by their peers. Is it an image of yourself? You know, some folks seem to always be performing. I, you know, sometimes I, you, you talk to someone and it seems like you're not even talking to the real person. Like, let me talk to the person behind that person, this image that you're trying to put forth. It is a position or a title. Does a position or a title make you feel worthwhile? 
This is a particular temptation of ministry. Is it, is it the general security that comes along with having plenty of money and resources? Is that what you boast in or what's valuable to you or, or what you trust in? Last week, James gave us a warning. He said, don't be double-souled. Don't try to build your life on two foundations. Today, he tells us how not to be double-souled. He gives us another little, a little uh, insight into some strategies about how not to be double-minded. It says this in James 1, verse 9. Let the lowly brother, perhaps poor brother, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. And let the rich man boast in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. You see what the point is here. The point is that the things that this world can provide are passing. They're fleeting. They're not assured. I've entitled this sermon, Nothing Gold Can Stay. This is after a Robert Frost poem that I want to read to you right now. In true Baptist fashion, right? Three points in a poem. It says this. Nature's first green is gold. It's her hardest hue to hold. Her early leaf's a flower, but only so an hour. Then leaf subsides to leaf. So Eden sank to grief. So dawn goes down today. Nothing gold can stay. Friends, the gold of this world, the, the, the things that we so often are led to place our trust in, are very, very, it's, it's, a, it's a rickety, rickety Platform on which to, to found our lives. So I want to encourage you to look to the scriptures today to see that the real thing that we should be placing our hope and our trust in is something more sure than the passing and fleeting securities that this, this life provides. James tells us this in such a way that reminds us whatever our situation in life, we will face certain temptations that grow out of the very situation that God has placed us in. So, we need to ask ourselves a question. What are my temptations that grow out of where I am in my life? If you're poor, there are certain temptations. If you're going through a season of need... Financial need. Perhaps many of you can think back to, to days when it when it seemed like, as as I heard one man say when I was growing up, when when you opened the you know the, the refrigerator or the cupboard or whatever, and and there was one biscuit left. What you did was cut it in half and give each half to the kids. If you're if you're in need, there are certain temptations that are going to creep into your heart based on your need. If you are if you have plenty, and if you are content. There are certain temptations that are going to grow out of the soil of contentment. Maybe it's to, to be comfortable or to protect your comfort, to protect your situation at all costs. The single person has certain temptations. And the married person has certain temptations. 
So we need to ask the question, what is my situation and how does it present a challenge to me in terms of following Christ? If my life or if my faith were to go off the rails, how would it happen? If my friends were to look at my life and if my friends were to guess how I might fail and absolutely wreck my life and my faith and my relationship with Jesus, what would they say that it would probably look like? What would be the temptations that I am particularly prone to? Well, James gives a warning to the poor in verse 9. I want to direct your attention back to that. Verse 9 says this. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. This is odd. What exaltation? In other words, what high standing does the lowly brother have to boast in? Right? It's what's secure for him in Christ. What James is saying here is that if you find that you are in a position of need, if you think, if, if you are needy and, and, and poor, maybe you're going through a season of lack, don't trust in what you can provide for yourself. Instead, look to what Jesus has already accomplished for you. You see, if you're poor, if you're going through a season of need, the temptation is going to be to believe the lie that your value is based on what you own. If you're going through a season of need, the temptation is going to be to believe the lie that says, because I have little, I guess I have nothing to offer. But instead, what James says is if, you, if you're going through a season of need, set your gaze on what Jesus has provided for you. That he has created you in the imago Dei. He's created you in the image of God. Because you're created in God's image, you have value that has been given to you by God. That no financial ruin can take away. That no job loss can take away. That no separation can take away. Nothing can take away what has been secured for you in Christ. Your worth is not defined by your income, your influence, or your intellect. Your worth was declared in Genesis chapter 1 when, G, when, when God looked at his creation, humanity included, and he said, it is very good. If you feel like you have no value, it's not true. Because God has declared your value by creating you in the image of God. Secondly, I would say, look to how going through a season of need and going through a season of want is actually might be a blessing for you. Okay? Here's what I mean. Matthew 5, 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, this being poor in spirit doesn't refer to material lack, but the point is still there. Those who recognize their need for closeness with God are the people who will receive it. Those who recognize I need a renewed relationship with God. Those are the people who God is going to answer that prayer. If you realize that you, that you need Christ, Christ is going to be close to you. The blessing of not having a lot is that you have a great sense of your need. And if you have a great sense of your need, you will run to Jesus. And when you run to Jesus, you will find that he is willing to meet you. If you will confess to him your need. 
He desires to draw close to you if you will draw close to him. This could take up an entire lesson, perhaps on a Wednesday night or something like that. But this is the very thing that the spiritual discipline of fasting is intended to do. You know the reason why we fast from time to, from time, to time? Um, is because when you take a, a few hours or a day away from eating or something like that, those hunger pains begin to come. And that hunger pain reminds you of how fleeting your life is. If you go for three hours without food, your body is going to be yelling at you, right? You have needs. And so fasting is meant to remind us of our needs so that every time we feel that hunger pain, you can say a prayer to the Lord and say, Lord, just as I need food right now, I need you even more. I don't pray. I don't I don't run to you every three hours like I do when I'm hungry. But the hunger reminds us that that we need Christ. Those who have plenty are tempted to think that that they really do that, that everything that they really do have has come from their own hand. When I was younger, I was really blessed uh, to be able to work uh, for a couple. Uh, just kind of managing their property for them. Um, they, I mean, they had they had a lot of possessions. Um, they were, you know, actually, I can't even mention names because of uh, you know, these people would, would actually be able to be found online and stuff. But they they owned, you know, they 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 were part owners in horses. That win races that all good Kentuckians watch. Anyway, um, when I was in high school and even in college, I had the opportunity to to just kind of care for their property. And one of the things that I that I realized they, they they did not know the Lord. They didn't seem to have any interest in knowing the Lord. And I think that part of that was because they had such a hard time seeing what they could, what possibly more they could need. All of their needs seem to be taken care of. It becomes, it's possible, friends, to sedate ourselves. It's possible to, to numb our senses and get into the, to the little coma of thinking that all that we have, all that we need, we have. But the reality is, our most basic and our deepest needs are spiritual needs. And so I say all this to say, if you find that you're going through a, a tough season... If you find that you're going through a season of loss and of want, it could be, it could be that part of what God is doing in the middle of that season is to prompt you to look to Him and to remember that you have great spiritual needs and that He has taken care of every one of them. I hope that's some comfort to you. If you feel lowly, if circumstances have have you in a place of need, remember your exalted position in heaven, that nothing can take away from you the love of Christ. Nothing can separate you. This is what he means by boast in your exaltation. Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In other words, that's where it's secure. It is kept for you there. 
Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things in earth. And here it comes. Listen to this. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. There is for those who are in Christ... Regardless of your riches, regardless of your possessions, regardless of how secure you feel today, there is an inheritance that has been secured and is kept for you in heaven. And nothing can separate you from it. So, so, now we look to verse 10. A warning now for the rich. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, but let the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. This is the temptation for most of us who, who by the world standards, we have, we have obscene riches. I mean, we have so much stuff. I can't remember the statistics, but it's something like if you have one change of clothes, there's a certain percentage of the world's populations that you are more rich than. And it's, it's double digits. I mean, I can't remember. But it's not a small thing. If you own a car, if you, have, if you know where your next meal is coming from, you are obscenely wealthy in the world's standards, by the world's standards. So we have been given so much. And so I think that perhaps for all or for most of us, Verse 10 applies to us in some way. And the, let the rich person boast in his humiliation. What James is saying is push back against the temptation to think that God accepts you based on anything other than what Jesus has done. Don't let yourself be deceived into thinking that God will accept you based on the family that you came from or the church of which you're a member or your pedigree, or the fact that you were the charter member of some church somewhere, or that you had a relative who was a pastor, or anything like this, or how much money you give to the church. He said, don't let yourself be deceived into thinking that you can actually boast in that. But instead, boast in your humiliation. That's what I take this to mean. Boast in the fact that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Boast in the fact that even though you are rich, even though you are wealthy, even though you may be a person of influence, you can't buy the upgraded wristband like at Disney World. You can't get the, there's no express lane to Jesus based on who you are. Because at the end of the day, the only thing that you are and the only thing that I am is a sinner saved by grace. We come into this world with nothing, we will leave with nothing, and we should not convince ourselves that if we are in Christ, it's not because of anything we brought to the table. The only thing we contributed to our salvation was the sin that made it necessary. Jesus has done it all. Listen to Ezekiel 16. 
Again, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations and say, thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite. In other words, you are not from the right family and your mother was a Hittite. As for your birth, on the day that you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling cloths. No eye pitied you and uh, to do any of the things to you out of compassion for you, but you were cast out on the open field, for you were hated on the day that you were born. And when I passed by you, I saw you wallowing in your blood. This is very stark language. But it's Bible. I said to you in your blood, live. And I said to you in your blood, live. I made you to flourish like a plant of the field. And you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. Friends, this was the picture that that God uses to speak about Israel, his chosen people. This is the same picture of who we were. We were helpless, lost, had been left to die until Christ came along. We are not in Him because we brought anything to the table. Let the rich boast in their humiliation. In other words, remember, remember where you were before Christ saved you. Remember the trajectory that you were on before Christ saved you. That's where He should have left us. But He didn't because He loved us. Rest in that. Boast in that. Here's the rationale. Why should we not trust in what we can build? Why should we not trust in what we can gain or earn here? Because these investments always fade. As Robert Frost said, even Eden sank to grief. Even the perfect garden was submitted to ruin after sin came into the world. So don't think, don't think that our situation is any different. Even our investments will fade. Psalm 103 says, For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him, and His righteousness to children's children. In other words, we get one life to invest. Invest it well. Invest rightly. Since life is short, since life is fleeting and uncertain, there is a way that Christians should live. And it looks differently from the pattern of the world. See, the world has answered these questions. The world has said, you only live once. The world has said, you do you. The world has said, life is too short to be anything but happy. The answer from the culture seems to be, since life is short and fleeting, put yourself at the center What Christ seems to be saying is since life is short and fleeting, put Christ at the center. Only one life, as Jim Elliott said. There's only one life. It will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And of course, he penned these words before being martyred in Ecuador for the sake of the gospel. Lastly, what is real value? 
See, the church seems to be made up of these two parties, those who have little and those who have much. But the point is clear. Christians are to assess, I'm sorry, are to assess their lives in terms of spiritual wealth instead of material wealth. Listen to what Jeremiah says. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For these things I delight, declares the Lord. Let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The only thing that matters in this life is knowledge of the one true God. This is real value. This is why Jesus himself says in Matthew 6, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Friends, what would it look like? What would it look like for you Thinking about your situation, the family, the job, everything that God has placed in your life. What would it look like for you to cut ties, to cut bait with the lesser things so that you can live more fully to Christ? Would it be, would it be sacrificing comfort? Many of us worship comfort above all else. Would it be sacrificing an appearance or an image of ourselves that we want to, other people to see? Would it be sacrificing security? Would it be sacrificing even possessions? I'll give you an example of a friend of mine. A friend of mine recently got together with a bunch of pastors, and he took us to um, took us to Top Golf. Y'all familiar with what Top Golf is? It's a place where you can go, and it's, it's really cool. It's like it's, you hit golf balls, and it's like a video game. You know, tons of fun. Actually, kind of expensive to go there. And at the end of it, he said, you know, uh, he, 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 covered, he covered the bill for everybody. And he said, I want to let y'all know why I'm paying for, there's like eight of us there. He said, I want to let y'all know why I'm paying for everybody's today. He said, because I just got a pay raise. And it's way more than I need. And I'm afraid that if I keep it to myself, it's going to ruin me. That's just a pattern. That's just a a notion. That's just one example of an idea of what it looks like to cut ties with the allure of this world so that we can live in such a way that says and confesses to God, you are my one real treasure. I'm not using you, Jesus, as a means to an end. Like, Like, I'm not using you because you're helpful for me to get to where I want to go. I love you, Jesus, above all. And so I want to make sacrifices to keep myself held fast to you. I hope that's encouraging to you. Friends, church, let's be a church 
that if we are lowly, we boast in our exaltation. If you feel weak, you look to what Christ has done. If you feel, if you feel exalted, you remember where you were before Christ saved you. Let's hold the gospel with both hands. Let's do both of those things so that we can live a life that is honoring to Jesus and gives him the praise that he's due. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. How it has a way of just kind of cutting us to the heart. It has a way of examining our lives. It has a way of saying, no matter if, you, if you're poor, no matter if you're rich, there is an application of the gospel for all of us. If we are single, if we are married, if we are young, if we're old, if we are content or if we're disappointed, if we're happy or if we've been wrecked. No matter what our situation, you meet us at our point of need. And you kind of tailor the gospel toward our, our situation in such a way that helps us to know what we need to do with our lives. God, I pray that the things I have said have been clear. I pray that I have not, by, by my own limitations, I pray that I've not gotten in the way of your word. I pray that your word has been clear today. And I pray that it would do its work in our hearts. I pray if there is one today who's been listening to these words I pray that if, if, they, if they begin to wonder what, really, what is really valuable and they say, you know what, I've, I've, actually been, I've actually been building my life on things that are not valuable and I, I, need to, I need to build my life on the rock. But I pray that they would see today that Jesus stands ready. You stand ready to receive them. If they would say, Lord, would you forgive me of my sins? Let me begin a relationship with you that today could be the day of salvation. I pray that they would come and talk to me and make that public. I pray that if there's one today... Who, who, you know, Lord, you've done a work in and you've, you've given, like you've, you've, you've granted them repentance and they've been believing in you for some time and they need to go public with that. They need to go public with their faith by following Jesus in baptism, perhaps sometime uh, in the next uh, coming months. Or, or if there's some who've really been wrestling and they've been saying, you know what, I need to be committed to the local church through membership. Uh, wh whatever that might look like, if they need to begin a relationship or a conversation about these things. That I would be ready to receive them, Lord. I pray that you would do your work uh, no matter what our need is. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.